Hey friends, welcome back to the Collective's Conversations podcast. I got to sit down with Dave Barnes. Dave's a singer, songwriter, funny man, dad, so many things. So we got to sit down and talk about his music, uh, his humor, and his uh, own podcast, Dadville. This is one of the most entertaining conversations I've had got to have here in the podcast. You're going to love Dave. If you're going, Dave Barnes, I know that name. Well, if you've ever heard the song, God Gave Me You, either his version or the multi-platinum Grammy-nominated Blake Shelton version, Dave's the songwriter of that. But he's so much more than a songwriter, and this was a fun and incredible conversation. So here's our conversation with Dave Barnes. Welcome back to the Collectives Conversations podcast. Uh, I have a brand new friend with me. I guess we could say friends. We've talked off air for like three minutes now, so I think we're friends at this yeah, point. We're just that's Dave, all I need. I need Dave Barnes, singer songwriter, fellow podcaster of the Dadville podcast, which is one of my favorites. Um, he's had ten full length albums and two of my favorite Christmas albums. I'm just gonna put that out there. I love the Christmas music. And we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you're also a, a well-known songwriter from Carrie Underwood, Thomas Rhett, Tim McGraw, Reba, Need to Breathe, My Favorite Band, Dan and Shay, oh, yeah. Florida Georgia Line, and and the list goes on. I hit the Spotify Dave Barnes songwriter list. It was like 200 songs deep. So that extra yeah. 30 cents this week that you made is for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. It'll go. They'll go to my uh, children's free water free water at, uh, whatever restaurant of our choosing yeah i make my kids get water too because like three bucks for a drink is outlandish Bro, so get get out of here get out of here so i gotta ask like breaking news in the sec world are you a sports guy oh yeah okay so and you're from the knoxville area yep nick saban retires as a, yep. i assume you're a vol fan Was well that here, here's the trick you, you sort of stepped into a trap here because okay <laughs> forgive me um I grew up in Mississippi, so huge state fan. Both both sets okay. of my grandparents met and fell in love at state, and basically okay. my mom and dad did too. So this is like DNA kind of um, allegiance. Now the trick with that though is I, I would have gone there absolutely if I'd stayed there, uh, if we had lived there through my college years. Mm-hmm. But we moved. My dad planted a church in Knoxville, like you said, when I was uh, a junior in high school. So I didn't. I didn't really swap allegiances. I sort of okay. stayed with state, but it sort of diluted my allegiance just because I was so far away. Right. I, I had so many friends go to, go to UT, and then I had friends that played for UT uh, football okay. at the time, and so I kind of you know I followed them then because it was a really fun like. But mm-hmm. I never. I never actually fully converted and so I, i'm sort i'm a little bit of i'm a little wayward in my in my um sort of fandom because my wife is an old miss graduate and like heavy heavy old miss fan which okay. causes a little bit of it's a little bit of a house divided but while i love and follow state it, it's not like it is if i had gone there or something so gotcha. but i do i mean I, you know i think you know pete carroll belichick saban i mean the, and Rabel for us for the titans yeah. i mean it's it's been a massive week in a weird like new england sort of yeah. centric week because those guys right. have all sort of coached in the same little yeah. unit at some so point. So when you moved to Knoxville, because I moved to Southeast Tennessee, north of Chattanooga to go to college. And when I got here, I was indoctrinated with a certain statement. And I got to know when you got to Knoxville, if they taught you this, God bless and go Vols. Was that like That's it. told to you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. 
I mean, going again, going to state games my whole life was so fun, and you got cowbells and the whole thing. Yeah. But the first time I went to that stadium, and you know, at the time it was it was the biggest stadium. It was what it was like a it was like a hundred and two thousand. It's a time. it's a small village, yeah. <laughs> and I grew up in a town of eight thousand. Oh wow! So you could have you could have fit my town in there ten times plus, and it was just I couldn't understand this kind of fandom. And even still, I mean, it's like. It's really mind-boggling, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. So you don't go to UT. You end up in TSU. So yeah. what, how, was it the music that took you there? It was God, honestly. It was it was um, God's weird, sovereign guiding of a million things. Basically, the story's too long to tell, but the abbreviated version is when we transferred my grades from Mississippi to Knoxville. And, and, and Fairgate, where I went to high school, is an extremely academic public school yeah. like it was in the top 10 of red book that year for public schools in the nation it was like a it's a really um good public school um in college prep public school and so um i my grades by god's i literally mean this by god's divine intervention they went up like 0. 0.5 0. 0.7 mm-hmm. so my gpa which would have been about probably in the low threes went up to like high threes, like three, eight, three, nine or something crazy. And in that school, that's a huge deal because you're talking about national merit finalists. And we had every single year, Farragut has a kid or two that does perfect on either the ACT or the SAT. And so because I bumped so high, um, you know, and I was only there for two years, like it made me look amazing. And then I did okay (laughs) enough on my SAT that um the ACT and that that like you know schools were kind of like hey you know so when MTSU came and did their college day you know if you want to go to MTSU come to the right. Red Wing you know three twenty two and there'll be a representative and so I knew that they did music there and so I went and met with the girl Sharon Thomas shout out Sharon um and she was like hey your grades are great and and we're really trying to get more fair kids to MTSU I think we could probably figure something out and so my mom and dad and you know. Mom and dad kind of have that conversation. I'm just sort of like, you know, drumming yeah. on my desk. And uh, so sure enough, they get a call like a couple months later. And Sharon's like, hey, you know, we can offer Dave a full ride. And, and um, we'd love Fantastic. to have him. And I remember dad hanging on <laughs> the phone and looking at me and going, congratulations, you're going to MTSU. I mean, that, that, so it wasn't really a conversation. I did want to go there. So, I mean, I, so I, the, I, it wasn't the Lord as much as his dad. Dad told you. Well, you know. Honor your father and mother, and so that what that's what makes it biblical. And so, um, I've got so anyway, that, that it, 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 I did want to go there, but but it wasn't it wasn't it was much more. I just didn't have a really strong opinion. I knew places I didn't want to go to UT. There were mm-hmm. a few places around there I did, didn't want to go, but I just hadn't thought about it much. And so by the time it popped up, we had visited. You know, I was like, looks great, let's do it. You know, so was that nineteen ninety six? You went to college? Yeah. Okay. So funny story, and I think the I, I see my life with a lot of near misses. So I'm from Illinois originally. So I um, graduated high school in 95, took a year off. I say took a year off. I went to work and that got really boring. And I was like, I should okay. go to college, right? Yep. So me and a couple of buddies come down to Middle Tennessee to play golf. And we play this course in Murfreesboro. I don't even know the name yep. of it. I just know that there's a, a house I hit four times because I was hooking my drive. So, like, I didn't even leave a note, but, like, I'm like, this place is amazing. I just fell in love with Middle Tennessee. And so I'm headed back home, and this is, like, I'm going to date myself. Like, I pull out the gigantic atlas, right, the road atlas. Yeah, 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 and I'm like, of course. where's there a college nearby? And so, lo and behold, MTSU. And so oh, yeah. I go home. 
I fill out the application. I send in my housing deposit, all the things. I'm going, right? Cause oh, you're I, going. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mom's like, I think that's too far. <laughs> so uh, honoring mom, I stayed in state, went to Illinois State for two years, and then transferred to, to Lee and two years later. Yeah. But I was I was that close to being your roommate. <laughs> we would have been roommates it, and best friends. We would have we would have started so many bands. We well, and here's the so thing. Like, I wanted to be in a band. Like, but like I have no rhythm, Dave. Like, I can't clap yeah. on beat. That's okay. That's okay. I have I have Grammy Award winning producers drummer. tell me to quit. So Yeah, that's well that what do they know at this point? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I won't say who it is because he knows a lot and has made a lot of money. So Touche, touche. As have you in the music industry. You've got a brand new album out. I've got to know yeah. Feather Brained wealth motel yeah where where's that title come from well i i haven't it's funny i am I'm, I'm the most um verbose and uh I, i'm not like a secrets guy but this this is like the first time in my career that i haven't said what the actual meaning is because i just think it's so fun oh. to i think i'm gonna reveal it but i will say this one of the things that's really so the backstory quickly about this record is i just listened to the beatles in 2022 that's the i was gonna music say that. that i listened to and uh and so uh, inspired this record, I wrote a record from that time, uh, you know, after listening and doing the Steve Dove the Beatles. One of the things that was of paramount importance to me with this project was I wanted from the beginning to the end, as we would say in the South, the rooter to the tutor, I wanted everything to be on brand with that messaging. So right. in other words, like what you, what you can do with a record like that is you make it and then you call it something that's you know, kind of in your wheelhouse of album titles you've already used before. And then you use some really cool pictures on the front. And the, but, but to me, that was like, that's not what we're doing here. I want this thing from the minute you see it, which is usually people's first interaction with it, you know, on, on yeah. the Spotify, DSPs, whatever you're looking at, you know, to go, whoa, what is this? And, you, you know, it sort of sets the tone for, like, what you're about to hit play on. And then I wanted the title to be the same. And so I, I thought about so many records I love from the 60s, and they always have this, like, what the heck? You know, like, right. what does that mean? And so I think for me, and I think one of the things that's really tricky too, <coughs> I think you'll understand is like, you know, having done, as you said, 12 records and another, whatever, four EPs, um, it's, it's just a lot of music. And so I think one of the things that you're always warring against as a 45 year old musician and artist is it's not that people don't like you. I mean, you have, you have fans. That's why I still can mm -hmm. make a living. It's, it's just trying to get those people to, re-engage and to sort of yeah. not take that same expectation into every new project you have because i think we all do that you know even the album even the artists we love the most there is some sense of like i know what you do and that's why i like right. it and so if they have a new album you're like yeah it'll be great but you know when it's their 10th record you're kind of like i'm sure it's great i'll get around to it you know but i got stuff going on <coughs> excuse me i got this cold i'm trying to kill um so for me i was like what is going to be the most jarring thing I can do. And so, so much of that was the packaging and the album title because I just wanted people to go, mm -hmm. wait, 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 what? Like, uh, let me hit play and see what happens instead of sort of like, yeah, Dave's great and I'm sure it's like kind of acoustic stuff and and cool, right. you know, I, I'll get to it in a couple weeks. So, that was, so much of the title was just going, how much can I, how, how jarring, how much can I sort of shake people out of, oh yeah, yeah. Dave's great, you know, and so... Uh, I'm glad you like brought the Beatles because I've listened to the album a couple times through now and I keep going, this is very Sgt. Pepper's. Like yes, some of the instrumentation. Yeah, I hope so. And all the things. And I was like, I didn't want to say it because I'm like, come on, there's no way Dave Barnes is going Sgt. Pepper's on me. Like, 
but like some of the instrumentation just things just stood out yeah. and i was like this sounds very beatles like and so i'm glad yeah, you referenced thanks. it because i didn't want to have to bring no it absolutely a thousand percent a thousand percent that's the goal good awesome it's a great great record i encourage everybody oh, to listen you. to it on thanks. spotify yeah, yeah. i'm an apple guy sorry if that pays oh less. yeah no I, mean, that's like, I, I do both no i, I do but yeah. apple's actually better oh good to know i'll keep playing yeah. on apple then so yep. you said you grew up in PK. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a GPK. So my grandfather was a pastor. Oh yeah. yeah. Did you ever feel there was a expectation to follow the family business and go into ministry? No, not not from them. I think I osmotically did that. I think I just went. This is a known entity. It's probably the same as every kid with their parents' job to some degree. Is like it's just yeah. the known entity. You just. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, you've seen it. And, and so you go, oh, like dad's an accountant. I should be an accountant mm-hmm. or dad, mom or lawyers. And I'll be like, whatever. Like, so for me, I think it was as much like, oh, this is a world that I really understand. Um, right. And so I, I did. I think, you know, I think I, I thought I was going to go to state and then I was probably going to go to seminary and, you know, m- go on to be a youth pastor or whatever I thought at right. the time. Um, so not from them. But I think for me, I was like. And and I think I think I would have enjoyed it. I, I think I do, and mm-hmm. I have I have a lot of pull toward that. Where I'm an elder at my church here in Nashville, and so you know I have that in me. And but it was not dad and mom, and no. In fact, I think they would laugh and say, "You should definitely do something different." <laughs> like this is <laughs> you re- so, like music. You really have to be called to do it. It's a it's a yeah. really you know. I mean you know it's it's a, it's a heavy job. So even with the music and and sort of I, I think there's mm-hmm. always expectations put on either by ourselves or somebody else. As you started to do music, and you, I think your history is you learned to play guitar in college or sort of write songs yeah, in college. Yeah, yeah. Was there, and especially in the '90s, there was the explosion of passion and worship music was like taking off. Was that ever either a thought or sort of like I should go do that since I'm a church kid? Oh, I I, I lived with so much guilt and shame, self induced, um, <coughs> around like you know. Shouldn't I, if I'm a Christian, shouldn't I be writing worship songs or like Christian songs? Um, Because, you know, there there was still a hangover in the 2000s of like that late 90s CCM, really great music, like the Audio Adrenaline's DC Talks, you know, Wes King and whatever, whoever you're listening to, that music that was like, come on, girl, what'd you know about Wes King? But like, I've been wearing his stuff out this week randomly. Uh, But like, you know, there was really compelling original artistic yeah. music in that season it wasn't quite as um worship centric it was much more mm-hmm. like you know uh and so you know in the 2000s that was still happening up until i'd right. say even like you know late 2000s um you know my friends like brandon heath were making records with these really cool records oh, so yeah. i was kind of like you know i should go do something like that and i just couldn't do it like every time i picked up a, up a guitar and i would try that it was so bad and it felt so inauthentic and trite and mm-hmm. forcing things into, especially you know, especially lyric, um, you know, things. And so I just finally was like, "This is not what I'm supposed to do." And it felt like any energy I gave to the more mainstream thing, uh, the doors opened and people came mm-hmm. to the shows. And so it was a weird season of trying to really uh, um, acclimate myself to this new sort of thinking of like, "Oh, I'm going to play in like bars and clubs and colleges yeah. and theaters, and then every now and then I'll do like a church show." Whereas, you know, I originally thought, like, I'm going to be, like, in churches, and then I'll have, like, outreach shows, you know. Yeah. And it's interesting, because I felt like, in that time period, like, 2000s, it was like, everybody was doing cool music, and then everybody made a worship album. It was like, Jeremy Camp had, like, four great albums, and then 
there was yeah. a worship album and like Michael yeah. Smith did a bunch of music and then there was yeah. a worship album and suddenly yeah. they were worship artists mm-hmm. and I mean, no knock on it. It just felt like that was a major shift and yeah. following sort of your trajectory in your albums, you, you didn't make that shift. Yeah, um, you no. kept making authentic music. You kept writing music and now you're writing music in genres outside of CCM and other places mm-hmm. Which Nashville is a weird spot, man. I've my daughter goes to school there. We've hung out there quite a bit. How have you managed sort of maintaining this follower of Jesus and being in this industry that kind of walks a weird line with it? You know, it's funny. Th- there are so many. I wrote with a guy yesterday um, who's a new country artist, and he's such a great guy, sweet guy. Loves the Lord. It's like I, 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 I feel like, and it may just be the Bible Belt thing, but. There are so many Christian people in Nashville doing music in every right. in every iteration. I mean, some of my closest friends are country artists, and I think all of them are all church attending believers. You know, like, mm-hmm. and so it's not. You know, I mean, I think people can misunderstand how much of the wild wild west it is here because it really does. I mean, look, not. I mean, I'm not saying everybody believes what we believe, but I, I, the majority do. You know, and so it's not. I mean, you know. Uh, like anything you're having to stick to your guns. And I was just reading beginning of the sermon about yesterday, but like, you know, letting your light shine and those things sitting on the Hill. But I think at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not living in some, you know, Eastern block country where you're scared to just say the name, even to say God or something, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. It's very, um, I think the danger of that, which you know so well from being in the South, um, working here is like, um, it gets a little more comfortable, you know, I think that's, the, yeah. that's probably the bigger struggle in a ways. It's just kind of like, it's just sort of an assumption. And then, you know, we all can get really lazy because it's just, it is easier to do that here than, than probably most oh, places in the world. So it, it's what you do. It's what everybody does. It's everybody yeah. goes to church. Everybody does that. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting yeah. about Nashville and, and you can probably speak this better is what happens on Broadway is d- way different than what happens on music row. Like Broadway yeah, is its yeah. own little animal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. music yeah. row is, is not that. Um, when I was before I visited Nashville, I thought like Broadway was music row. We had that misconception. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, the same thing. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, and, like they're. Oh, it. Not yeah, that ends part, but they are. That ends at like you know, it, uh, yeah. I mean, w- once you basically get out of downtown, it ends as you cross over into sort of like any other part of Nashville. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk. God gave me you. Right. That's the big song. If people know Dave Barnes, they know God gave me you either from the CCM world or from your, I guess, new yeah. friend, Blake Shelton. <laughs> like, I guess yeah. you guys are buddies. I- I've heard my your, benefactor, your benefactor. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've heard your friend John Acuff tell the story, but I want to hear you yeah. tell it that it was a rental car that Blake Shelton got into when he first heard your song. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, he was driving. Um, he was driving, as told to me, he was driving from the airport back to his home in Oklahoma and had was just going through stations. And my song was, I think this is like late night too, but my song, this is when my version was on Christian radio. And he heard, heard it and like loved it and pulled over and, you know, downloaded it because there were no, you know, there wasn't a Spotify at the time. So he bought it off Apple Music or whatever, iTunes. And, um, and so then it was this funny journey of like, it went from my friend, one of my dear friends worked at Warner Brothers at the time, which is the label he's on. Mm-hmm. And she called me, she's like, you want to hear the most random thing in the world? Blake has heard God gave you, and um, he wants to have it in his wedding. 
And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, does he want me to play? She's like, I don't think so, but just thought you'd think that was cool. And I was like, great. Well, then it was like, hey, he's going to record it. And I was like, well, that's even better. And then yeah. she, she and my wife surprised me and a bunch of my friends one afternoon. I came home from writing, and, and there were all these people in my house. And Kelly, this girl, came out, and, you know, they did, like, had champagne and sparklers and said, hey, Blake's going to – it's his second single off the record. And um, and then from there, it's just been, like, chaos. You know, it's like it's like the song that it, – it, it's weird, I, you know. I remember seeing this been about a decade ago, so I don't know if it'd still be on this list, but like Billboard, you know, which is Billboard, put out mm-hmm. the top 100 biggest country songs of all time, and it's on that list. I think and that it is may just, still be. That is, like, I, saying that out loud, I'm still like, I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? So it's a yeah. weird, it's a weird, one of the things I love about this job is that you really can be so detached from these things that you create. Like, you really do sort of mm. make these little things that then fly off and have their own lives and they just sort of send you money for them you know it's really it's a great it's a great living <laughs> how, but where do i sign up for that like I know. how do i get but that gig but it's so detached you know because like how yeah. it's performing i don't have anything to do with anymore yeah you know like i've done my job and now people just kind of you know you talk to people to tell you how much they love it or you hear it on the radio and it's just weird it's such a like it's a really weird weird wonderful part of this job but really jarring you know it's like yeah it's hard because it's not, you know, it's not like a chair you built that you sit in and you go, this is the chair. And I sit in every day and I built this chair. It's like somebody else is sitting in that chair in some other house. You know, it's just weird. It's a really bizarre experience. So what, what other industry, because I, I, the music industry is so unique in that, that you create art and you set it out there in hopes of somebody embracing it. Um, and not always with instantaneous feedback because you may yeah, have yeah. put the song six, eight months ago or six, eight years ago. Yeah. Um, what and the other industries like for people who are listening, like they would like that would make sense to them that they would make something that they just put out there and it just sits for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is it it has native to that part of my life, my songwriting life, are all these really weird, you know? Because I, some stat, this is crazy. Like one of my really dear friends was on the Bobby Bones podcast, and he and Bobby were mm-hmm. talking about Bobby was like, just so people can understand how songwriting works, he's like. And this is years ago because the guy's had a lot more hits since then. But he's like, how many, like, number ones have you had? And I think at the time, my buddy Jonathan Singleton had had, like, I don't know, eight or nine. And Bobby's like, okay, so then how many, like, you know, top 20s or whatever? And he's like, I don't know, another five. And he's like, okay, so let's say that's 12 or 13 songs. Um, How many songs do you write a year? And Jonathan was like, I bet you I write, you know, 200, maybe 250. He's like, so if you start doing the math, your failure rate is through the roof. I mean, it's like, what is that, 90% of the time? You know, if you do mm-hmm. five years of songwriting, you know, and you have... And John had been in town at this point like 10 years. You know, right. so so he's like, you've written a thousand plus songs. And, you know, how what percentage is that is, have been profitable, you know? So it's a, you have to really get used to sort of like pouring your guts into something over and over and over and over just to have people be like, no. You yeah. know, and still kind of keep your head up about it. It's a I don't I can't think of many jobs that are like that where the where the failure rate is ninety percent plus, but you still are making a living doing that thing. It's a right. really bizarre. You have so to have I, a really up, weird kind of armor. I grew up playing baseball, and the failure rate in baseball is like seventy yeah, percent, and go. you could be yeah. a, a star. But yeah, n- nobody fails at ninety percent. Like if I was no. failing at ninety no. percent any job, they would be fired. Yeah, so yeah. Like You're I would be fired. Yeah. So in, in the songwriting, this is like again. 
the wannabe artist in me, if I had any skill, I'd have gone to Nashville, been broke, lived under a bridge, all the things trying to make it. But is there a is there a, a track that you've cut or you've written that you go, hey, I really love this song, but it's on a shelf on hold somewhere or not even on hold. You just it's a piece of art you love, but nobody's mm-hmm. ever seen it or heard it. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the risk of sounding cheesy, I bet you, you know, 20% of the songs that I write every year, I'm like, those are great songs. Like, great with a capital G. Like, I love these songs. Um, You know, in in my 10 years of doing this as a quote-unquote professional songwriter, um, you know, it's probably, there's probably like 10 that I'm like, I will go to the grave over this song. I'm telling mm. you, this is a, this is a, and I'm not saying a hit, forget all that. I'm just telling you, it's worth being recorded and put on a re- record somewhere. And so, you know, every now and then, it, it, life works in these funny ways. And it's, it's really weird you're actually asking me this. The, Apple Music did this rad, amazing program. It made me want to hug everybody in this building. Where they actually, and the song is actually, it's it's really funny. I think it may be even out today. But, um, uh, they, they, um, they went to songwriters and said, Hey, we're going to do this campaign like initiated by Apple music, not by music row, not by publishers, mm-hmm. or we want to exhume sort of old demos that sort of made their way around Nashville by loves, but just nobody ever cut them. And then we're going to okay. find artists to cut them. And so me and a friend of mine, John green and a, another friend named Laura belts wrote the song called lights out that we loved. And it made its way around Nashville artist after artist would text me and be like, dude, I love the song, but they just couldn't make mm-hmm. it work for them. And so Apple did this program where um, every month now, so that song got recorded, and then it's coming out. I think this week. Um, the oh, cool. the uh, so so you know you have these moments where something will get exhumed. You know, I'll get a call from somebody and be like, "Dude, yeah. hey, so and so cut that song from five years ago." And I'm like, "Oh yes," you know. But I think a lot of the time, you know, my industry, the music industry, novelty is king, and so the new thing is always more exciting than the old thing. And I think yeah. that's probably the way of the world in a lot of ways, but. <clears throat> the problem with that is the longer something's been out, the less attractive it is to people. And so I think that's why you have this sort of like period with a song. You have like a couple of weeks while everybody in Nashville is still hearing it. And it's getting passed around that you're like, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen right now. In fact, there's a joke in the songwriting world with like, you always want to get in with an artist like the two weeks before they record because they'll tell you they got their 10 songs, but that onslaught that happens in the last two weeks by a lot of publishers is like send the best song now because it's the newest when they go in. Right. You know, it's not the song that they've loved for a year. They've started singing it in shows. That song will get axed for the newer thing because it's just new, you know? Right. And so you, you really have to have a weird sort of discipline and uh sort of like, you know, armor around your heart to go to know this is how this industry works. And for better or worse, you know, it, it just is what it is. And, uh, but the good part is every now and then you you know, you have one of those songs that sort of, pops back up and and does a thing yeah so i gotta know what's what's the love affair i know it's january we're past christmas but what's the love yeah. affair with christmas man because you've got two albums yeah. you've co-wrote a bunch of christmas songs i've got an ep too that we released a couple years ago the the it i think for me writing wise christmas is maybe one of the only genres of music that i would argue you know immediately if you've done it or not as a songwriter like mm. you know if you've hit the mark the okay. second you strum the last chord, playing it through the first time, there's a pretty immediate 
realization of like we got it or we didn't and i think i don't think you can say that for basically any other genre because it's just such a thing you know it's nostalgic it's warm it's sweet it's comforting Mm -hmm. it's it's um and so i think for me i love it because it really does have this sort of like oh that's definitely it or that's definitely not it and then we move on and and so for me it's very satiating because it feels like even when you don't get it right you're like okay i know i didn't get it right it's Mm -hmm. not i don't know maybe um and it's such a, it's very specific. Like you're dealing with very specific words and themes. I would right. even argue, argue musically, you're kind of, so it's not, it, it's a little more writing to assignment than it is sort of like esoteric, ethereal, what, what are we doing today? Where you can go anywhere. It feels like, no, that's kind of what we're doing. And so it's yeah. fun as a writer because I, I love that. I love that feeling of like a succinct target that I'm shooting for, you know. I, this is the personal opinion. And again, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm willing to see a battle royale over this. Okay, um, what do we have to do to get you the title of Mister Christmas from Brett Eldridge? Like he's kind of self-selected himself as that, but I feel like yeah. Dave Barnes is in the running of that conversation. We would probably have to do some kind of uh, arm wrestling. Oh, I mean, yeah. assu- I'm assuming that. in like a cold climate. You know, yeah. um, can we set that up? What do we got to do to make that happen? <clears throat> he would probably win, so I'm not going to do it. Um, he's a beast. Yeah. Plus, he's smoldering. He's got smoldering good looks in. He's, his voice is so well suited for Christmas music. Um, I love what he's doing. I, I always think it's fun when, when people sort of get that, oh, this is like, you know, this is really fun and people enjoy this. Because I think yeah, <clears throat> I've talked to so many artists that are just like, I don't know how to do it. Because I'll they'll get these calls or texts or somebody I want to go to breakfast and be like, I'm thinking about doing, doing Christmas, like doing a Christmas album. Do you have any advice? I'm always like, you got to do it. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's like one of the smartest, just on a business level. Like forget any like you know affinity for it. Even just like it comes around every year. So if you're just making that decision, it's that. But for me, it's just so fun because it's yeah. You know, it's like such a it's some of my favorite music in the world is that music. Yeah, and Brett does a great job. I'm not no offense, Brett Eldridge. No, no, he he's he probably amazing. won't listen to this episode, but yeah, like <laughs> yeah. his voice is so suited. For, for that. that crooner kind yeah. of yeah big Christmas bandy kind sound. of thing. yeah which is great so let's <laughs> yeah, talk dadville awesome. like yeah how did how did that happen what what in your mind said the singer songwriter guy should make a podcast with his friend john mclaughlin about being a dad well I, you know i i love people i love talking and i love talking to people and so you put those together and what do you got bippity boppity boop and so i was like you know this is probably 2019. I was like, I would really love to do a podcast. I thought I was going to do a music one. We sat with uh, WME, who was booking me at the time, and they had a podcast division. And so I sat mm-hmm. with the girl there, and I said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. She's like, all right. And, you know, again, this is five years ago. So, I mean, like, while podcasting is everywhere now, it wasn't yeah. at the time. It was a big deal, but it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. And she, even then, she was like, tell me your ideas. And I was like, all right, music. She's like, nope too many and i was like mm-hmm. really she's like yeah, there's too many it won't matter so she's like dude tell me this what are things you're really passionate about because she's like because here's the thing about a podcast you're gonna do, talk about this all the time and i was right. like well i love my kids and she was like that's there's that is not a space people are in like dads like dads with podcasts that's true and i was like oh and she was like so i think if you're gonna do one i may do that and i and i loved it i was like done this would be so great um, so one of my best friends got him Seth Philpot and I were talking about it and I was like, man, I think I'm going to do this thing called dadville. And, but 
it's kind of overwhelming. And he said, why don't you get John to do it with you? Because John lives directly across the street. And we talk about all this stuff anyway. I mean, you know, John yeah. and Amy are some of our closest friends. Um, and we basically like, have a cult because our kids are always playing and we always see each other. For, for those that don't know, John McLaughlin is who he's referring to. Yeah, lives yeah, the singer song. Also a recording artist, also has great <laughs> Christmas music. So I'm sure Christmas And, and it's probably, you know, my top five funniest friends. I mean, John is yeah. absolutely hysterical. So I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, John and I were hanging with him. I was like, dude, I got this crazy thought. I want to do this podcast. I want to call it Dadville. I'd love for you to do it with me if you wanted to. And he was like, done. He's like, I don't even need to think about it, man. So, um, and you know, that was, so we started in like 2020, right? Kind of COVID is actually, we started in probably 19 and then I think we started releasing episodes in 2020. So, um, it's just been so fun. I mean, John and I, you know, literally two days ago, we text each other and like, man, I love doing this. Don't you? Like we had a couple of podcasts earlier this week and he was like, isn't this just so fun? Um, so it's a really, it's really been truthfully one of those like sort of backdoor blessings things in that we always knew we would enjoy it, but I think we, well, I know, I know we get more from it than probably anybody does. And, yeah. um, it's, so it's become sort of the selfish pursuit, you know, of just kind of, yeah. um, it's, you know, it's given us reason to talk to all these people. I'd probably not have a chance to talk to, um, I've learned a million things. And the best part mm-hmm. to me is, you know, still being in the wild and somebody walking up just going, Hey man, I just want to tell you, like we're huge Dadville fans. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. You know? Um, so it's been a real gift. I've, I've been really thankful for it. So does that mean more somebody coming up to you or maybe on par with somebody going, Hey, I loved God gave me you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the thing, the, <laughs> what happens and it's always so sweet is people go, dude, love Dadville. I mean, love your music too. It's awesome. It's great. Really <laughs> love Dadville. And I'm always like, okay, you don't have to qualify. It. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just fun. It's like, you know, you, it, I think the best part about it is I, John nor I ever think about anybody actually listening to it. You know, we just kind of do it. And then yeah. we're like, cool. And then every now and then when somebody goes, hey, I listen, it was really great. I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, like last yeah. night I had a girl at church, at Wednesday night church. One of my friends who's a mom was like, so naturally was like, we're in the middle of conversation catching. I was like, Hey, I'll do that. How was Christmas? She's like, great, great. So, you know, we're listening yesterday. And when John said something and I was like, Oh, you listen to Dadville. She's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Me and the girls. And I was like, your kids. She's like, yeah, we listen to a lot. Anyway. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, I didn't know that, you know? Yeah. So it's a funny thing to just see how much it sort of lives its own life. Again, just these things you create that sort of like go out there and, you know, or doing their own things. Yeah. This is, this is actually my second podcast, but we, out of a second, our first podcast was it was called Leadership Drip, and it was about young adults in the local church. And a friend of mine from college, we sat down and we were talking to uh, local church leaders and young adults and influencers. Mm-hmm. And again, it opened doors that never in my lifetime. Yeah. Like yeah. I was sat down with people and leaders um, who who were just extremely like high platform leaders in Christendom who were like, "Yeah, I'll come talk to you for forty five minutes by Zoom." And tell you everything I know. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, it's and I don't incredible. care if anybody listens. It's like, you're going to talk to me for 45 minutes, like knowing it would cost me whatever amount to get in a room. That's with right. You somewhere. That's right. That's right. And it was, it's been, again, I love that. It's so selfish. Like this is selfish for me, Dave. Let's be honest. Yeah. I posted and tagged you about Christmas music to hope that you would reply. So we'd have this conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's oh, I know. Selfish, I know exactly. So I know exactly. But it's, it's great. Cause I remember. We were about a year into the podcast, and uh, we got invited to go to Passion. We were just there as guests, and I'm walking through the bins of 50,000 people 
and this this young lady who's a young influencer who we'd had some connection with on Instagram, she followed the show, is screaming my name, Jeff, Jeff. And like and I'm like, how do you who knows me here? I'm like this small like town pastor that has a podcast. And sure enough, she's like, Oh, I love the show and all the stuff. And I'm like, you just never know this art, whether it's music, yeah. podcasting, yeah, true. book writing, whatever it is how it's affecting somebody and impacting their life. And I think that's the return. Like, um, you know, you're sponsored. Your dad bill's probably making some sort of profit. I'm just like a guy in my house talking to people who Mm -hmm. like I want to talk to. So it's costing me more than I'll ever make. Um, Unless AG1 wants to sponsor me like everybody else in the world. I was going to say shout out AG1. Yeah. And, um, but it's the return to me is great. And so to make friends and have conversations with people and, get in the room with people who probably I never would have. Um, like it just people that like now I run into them and like in real life, you're like, Hey, we're like, we're friends, which yeah. like for yeah. a guy like me, like I thought would never happen. So, yeah, it's funny two two of my favorite authors, um, who I wouldn't have really ever had a reason, uh, not, not fair reason, ton of reasons, but never had a venue to know them, you know, never right. had a, um, John Mark Comer and Harrison Scott Key are both like friends of mine now. And I'm like, what a cool thing just because we got to sit and chat, mm-hmm. you know, now, like I know these guys and it's really cool. Yeah. It's like, that wouldn't have happened without the podcast, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I'm that way with the Beveers. So yeah. the sons, yeah. like Addison mm-hmm. and Arden. And like, I see them and I'm like, like, I, like, you know, they're like the, the pinnacle of Christian like authors and whatever. And I'm like, I get in a room with them and like, Hey, how are you? And we yeah. embrace. And it's like, so weird and text them like, Hey, how are things going? Um, it's just weird. That's open doors that I didn't yeah. know would open. How has, other than the relationships, how has Dadville opened doors that maybe music wouldn't have? You know what it's done? I think that is, is really cool. I would say it's twofold. One, um, it, more people are, contacting john and i for like having thoughts around parenting and being dads which is really cool you know Mm -hmm. that aren't to your point aren't connected to what we do for a living um and that's always really exciting because it's something i could talk about a lot because i have so much passion for it um so that's really cool Uh, i would say the second thing is it's it's also really just helped my music career because i think john and i laugh all the time and and this is also where it's really selfish but and i hate this word but forgive me for saying it but it really does thicken up your brand because it's like, I right. think, again, when John, you know, John's in his early 40s, I'm 45, like, you know, it's like <clears throat> our, our demo, which is around our age, <clears throat> are really busy with life and they're not really thinking about my music anymore. Is or, or mm-hmm. They are, but not like they used to. And so it's been fun to kind of re-engage a ton of those people in a way that they go, oh, this is a way for me to sort of stay in touch with you. Um, mm-hmm. it reminds me you do music, so maybe I go listen to that and it's fun. So I think for us, it's, it's also been really beneficial, honestly, for our careers. Cause I think it's just kind of kept us in people's brains a little more. Yeah. Um, and it never fails. Like I'll book, I, I'd say every, you know, not a ticketed event, but like where somebody, you know, has become to do an event for him. It almost never fails that somebody mentions Dadville. And so there's no doubt that it's helping just kind of keep us in front of people which is really great. Um, yeah. So I'm really thankful for that too, you know, which was not yeah. an intended consequence at all, you know? Right. Yeah. So you and John are very open about parenting, fatherhood, all the things like, so what has been maybe the greatest challenge of being a dad? 
what, yeah. what's been one of the hardest things that you had to walk through? I think we're just now, you know, my family, we're 12, 9, and 7. And we're just getting into kind of the emotional stuff. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of getting out of the physical tired. You know, kids aren't sleeping or, you know, whatever. Um, and I can, some, you know, obviously we've had a million wise things said on Dadville. But one of them that I think as much about as any is, you know, somebody said the first half of your parenting with a child is like you're physically tired and the back half is like you're emotionally tired. And I think Andy and I are just kind of getting into the emotionally tired stuff. And, and it really does feel like a whole new rule book. Like it, that none of the rules work that worked in the first half, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's all new things. And so with that exposure, I'm just seeing parts of me that I'm like, Oh, gross. Or like, I just don't have reps. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Exactly. I don't know yeah. when one of the child starts getting really sassy and like, in a way that's like a grown-up sass. It's not like a six-year-old sass. It's like, oh, you know what you're doing, and you know mm-hmm. like ways to hurt me that are very manipulative and mean. Um, you know, like Annie and I both are kind of like, I mean, I feel like this might as well be a six-month-old. And as far as that goes, like I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, oh man, that got me way riled up. Like I didn't know to not do that. Now next time I know, don't engage in that way or whatever. So. Right. I think we're in a season where that's just really challenging. It's like, you know, it's um, it's just heavy. It's like, it just yeah. feels like, you know, it's, it, you know this well, having your kids be the age they are, but it's, it's, it's a feeling of like real disconnect that's really sad because you feel like this isn't you disobeying me in some little, you know, tantrum. This is like, you are like, I'm trying to hurt your feelings. And it's mm-hmm. like, God, that's that's not fun. You know? So we have five. 22, 19, 19, 16, and 15. Yeah, and you know like, that well. We have, we've walked that, like the switch from like dad's the hero to dad's the enemy. And my well wife said. has this really great question, like, and she poses it sometimes to the kids. She'll say, are you mad at me or am I just handy? Because sometimes... Wow. Sometimes we, as parents, take the heat because they're yeah. angry with somebody else or something else yeah. in other circumstance that they can't put the anger towards. And so, yeah, that's true. As parents, you just catch it because, like, it may have nothing to do with me, but like they're mad at somebody at school or something on the TikTok or whatever. And but the heat's coming my way. Yeah. And so, and that, that that's, that's the thing. I think the, that's the that's the growth. That's that's the shift we haven't made yet. Annie and I are still taking. You're coming there too, personally. You know what I mean? It's like you said it so well. We're, we we just take we're just not doing a good job of going. Oh, it's just a you know she's just mad because her friend said something to her at school today, and she's coming home, and you know we're the we're the punching bags. Instead, we're yeah. kind of like, oh, how dare you say that to me? You know. So we're we're having to grow some skin around that. You know, kind of an extra. It's hard. Layer. It is. Yeah. It's really hard. And, but at the same time, again, some of the best counsel we've gotten is again. The house is the lab. You know, this mm-hmm. is where they figure that stuff out. In fact, I yeah. saw a really cool stat the other day where they were like, when you see your kids fighting, you need to understand that some of that is them actually learning how to communicate with people. Like, literally, oh, they good. are learning. When I yell, they yell back. When I say this mean word, they get mad. And 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 I just thought, what a, what a cool way to think about that, too, is it's not always just like, why are you guys always fighting? It's like... This is the lab, man. This is the safe place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something Andy and I have really talked about a lot lately is like 
in a weird way, it's a huge compliment to us that they're like, I can be myself and really let this stuff fly in here. And because I know it's safe and I know that you guys are going to love me and you'll reprimand me. And, and I think for me, that helps a lot on those days where I'm like, this is Lord of the freaking flies in here. Like, who are you kids? You know, but realizing like, yeah, well, in a weird, weird, weird backhanded way, it's sort of a compliment because they're like, no, I can like let it rip. You know, I'd be much mm-hmm. more nervous if my kids were like really, really civil and quiet and um, too yeah. obedient. Honestly, I'd be like, this is not the I don't we're doing something wrong because I'm not trying to turn you into little soldiers, you know, mm-hmm. or mini me I, in my sin. I am. But I want you to be you. And that means you're probably going to say something stupid or back yeah. talk or, you know, know that this hurts my feelings and then say it to me, you know. Yeah. And so I think that helps me a lot. Yeah, we're we have a, a statement and we try to follow through that we're not trying to raise good kids, we're trying to raise good adults. Like Yeah, that's true. That's great. Yep. Like cuz like good kids are obedient, they're mindful and that's our kids right. are great that's right. public. They've that's all right. all been like super polite. Yeah. But we want them to be healthy, good adults who can thrive and survive and make it yeah. in all the things. And this is challenging. Like I it's it's been one of the most I think being a parent is one of the most challenging thing especially through the teen and young adult years yeah young adult years are a whole nother like i'm i'm jesus help me that's the that's the thing that i think and and and, you know this is this is i'm not saying this as clear as i want to say it but to some degree i'm kind of always like look as long as out in the world they're civil and Mm -hmm. not entirely problematic you know within reason yeah we're doing a good job they can be whatever at home i just want to see that they're figuring it out here and then they're taken out of the world where it really matters and working it out. You know, I'll never forget when Andy and I had our first meeting with a, a uh, one of our teachers, one of our kids that we were really like, Oof, this has been a tough year with this one. And let's and the teacher was like, what a wonderful year. They have been so helpful and probably the leader of the class. And I remember Andy and I, I'm not kidding, Jeff. I went, I, I, I'm not training. Are you talking about our kid? And they were like, yeah. yes. And showed me the sheet. And we were like, and that for me was a huge moment of like, ah, okay, okay, this is this mm-hmm. is valuable. So for me, I'm like, look, as long as they're not out there, as long as I can see out there that, that they're putting to what we're using, you know, putting to use what we're right. learning in the house out there, I'm in. You know, like I don't love, I don't want to be anybody's punching bag, but at the same time, like if they're onboarding this information in a way that is transferable to the real world, then it okay, cool, cool, you know. But I think the problem I have is like, you know. When, when that's not, you know, when it's trouble out there, when you get the call yeah. from the teacher, you get the whatever. And then it, you're like, okay, this is not being applied like I want it to. I think that's always been like my, the shock. Like you show up to parent teacher thing and they're like, what a wonderful child. And they <laughs> so helpful and whatever. And you're like, who are you? Are you sure oh. you got my kid's stuff? Yeah, this you, is surely wrong. Surely this is the wrong form, right? Show me the top of that and sheet. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I agree. It's It's been part of the challenge. What some people don't know about you, Dave, let's shift gears a little bit, is you love comedy. Like oh yeah, so you've done some stand up comedy before. Is that yeah. the future of Dave Barnes? Like, are you gonna take take the road with John Christ? What's going on there? Gosh, man. Um, I I think I'll always dabble. I don't see the thing that's really overwhelms me with comedy. I was talking to Annie about this the other night. The thing that's really tricky about comedy is, other than like a Netflix or a special, you're really only making money when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, 
and, and so that requires you to go do it. It requires you to go do shows to leave the house. And I already leave as much as I want to leave, you mm-hmm. know, and that's not even a ton, but I just don't love it. I like being here. I want to be with my kids and be with right. my friends and whatever in my family. And so, you know, I think when I start staring down that thing, I'm like, and, and at least for this season, you know, the kid, once the kids get older or out of the house or something like, you know, who knows, like maybe it's time to rip, but I just know for now, I'm like, I just, I don't really, I'm not a big, other than God just being like, this is what I want you to do. I don't have a huge compulsion to do that because it, that is the way it works. It's not yeah. something where, you know, you can, I mean, you can have a cat and you know you can post in your account maybe if you get sponsored and then you make money cuz Clorox is like we're going to pay you however much to do posts about the new <laughs> Clorox wipes but other than that like you know you you really have to do go gig to, to right. make money and so i'm just like ah, man that is a so part have of you that. always kind of like had this love for comedy and being funny is it, were you the class clown yeah or is yeah it just that that you is stumbled into no 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 that that has always always been and, and, you know, I'm not the guy that was like, everybody's got to look at me. That's never been mm-hmm. me. But I think the older I got, I learned very quickly and acutely how powerful it was. Like, it got oh, yeah. me a lot of things I wanted. Um, attention, you know, uh, respect or whatever you would call it. Um, friends. Or not, it didn't get me friends. You know what I mean? It's like, I just noticed like, wow, this is a currency that I, I, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, have a pretty good amount of. And so, um, it's, it's really natural. I, it's not some, I mean, I have to work, you know, stand up shows so much work, but you know, I think I'd imagine it is in me. It's not something that takes a lot of conjuring. And so, um, I do love doing it. I love doing stand up shows. I love it. It is, it is a lot of work and it's a lot of like, in the midst of other things I'm already doing a lot of work on, it gets tricky, you know, because it's like, yeah. and again, this Chris and I talked about this on his podcast, but like, that is a thing that blows my mind. And, and when Bargazzi was on ours, like that is a thing that is so fascinating to me about stand up comedy. And we, and John and I laughed about this on his podcast. It's like, if you get enough of a set list as an artist, you can literally play the same set list, especially after about first 10 years of being an artist, you mm-hmm. can pretty much play that set list for the rest of your life. And people will always be happy. 10% will be like, oh, I wish you'd played this song. Most of them be like, if you're playing the songs they want to hear, they'll come, they'll, they'll come see it. Comedy, you nuke every tour at the end of every tour. You nuke the whole thing and start all over. So it's the opposite value sets. They want the same thing from an art, from a musical artist. They want a new thing every time from a comedian. And so, you know, that, that inherent problem to me is pretty overwhelming. Because, I mean, that's why those guys and girls are geniuses to me is because I think it's creatively, it's got to be the most demanding job probably in the world, it, it, creatively. Right. You know, because right. you, you aren't, you're, I mean, maybe painting and things like that because it's the same idea. But, you know, comedy, you're, you're, you're putting together an hour-long set every year or whatever. And that is so much work. You know, it's just yeah. unbelievable how much work that is. And yeah. so that part of it for me is like, you, that is, that feels- I, I mean, I like that you said comedy is a currency because we're, we're, I mean, as a pastor, I stand up before an audience every week. And as a musician, you stand up for somebody every week. It is, there's something about being funny that cuts the, the audience that like invites yeah. them in with you. Um, So even in what we do, I think it's, it's an important part of it. Like. Yeah. If you can be funny and and authentically funny, 
Like, yeah, it yeah. like softens the room and they're yeah. invited in to go where you want to go. Yeah. So, you know, a really valuable forward. lesson I'll tell you that was yeah. unbelievably life altering for me. And I've told this story in a lot of podcasts when we've talked about humor, but Annie and I just started dating. We were at this restaurant eating with some friends, some of which I knew really well. Some I didn't know at all. And there was probably five of them. And, um, and I can read really quickly when people are like, I can read when people want to give me the, the power to be that. Like when they're like just okay. defaulting to like, you can talk as much as you want and we will laugh as much as you talk. And in that season of my life, my early twenties, it was just, it was cocaine. I mean, it was like, I got mm-hmm. in this group, we sat down and for probably an hour, I just held court and I was killing it. Like if I had had merch at that restaurant, I would have sold out. It was like, I, everything I said, they were just lapping up. I floated out of the restaurant. I mean, just floated to the car, sat down. Yeah. Annie, Annie and I are dating. I look at Annie and I'm like, <laughs> hmm, that's that's what you could potentially get into, you know? And she looks at me and she says, I'll never forget this. She said, uh, so what was that? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? She's like, like, what was that in there? And I was like, I'm just making them laugh. She's like, do you remember any of their names? And I was like, hmm. Mm. <laughs> not really and she's like whatever that is i want nothing to do with that that was so selfish and you in no way tried to encourage other people to t- it was that was the dave Barnes show and i have no interest in that <laughs> and i just remember wow. it being like holy cow and so for me what i learned that day that i've tried to tried to really do is humor as much as it can be exhibitionist it can be extremely communal and it really can be this beautiful thing that, like, if you do it well, you can pull other people in and make them comfortable to then set them up to to talk and to have time and to feel seen and known. And so that's been a really helpful thing for me. You know, it's like as yeah. opposed to just going. It's a it really is a power, but you have to really kind of know how to wield it because left to itself is just so solitary and again exhibitionist. But man. Right. The right people with that gift can be such a blessing to people. You know, they mm-hmm. can make you feel comfortable. And, and it's funny, even now, we'll have, even now, 20 whatever years later, you know, we'll sit down and 20, why did I say that? You know, that that have been, yeah, well, that's close, probably 18, 19 years ago. We'll have people over. And, I ha- and I'm telling you, every time, Jeff, I have to go calculated, be calculated. Because if I hear it, if I feel the power moving and people yeah. stare at me laughing, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Move it. Okay. T- hey, Jessica, tell me where you went to college again. And okay, it's not mine anymore. And every night we have, and he'll laugh at me because we'll go upstairs, you know, getting ready for bed in the bathroom and be like, so, <clears throat> so how did, did you, did you have fun? She's like, oh my gosh, it was so fun. I'm like, okay. <laughs> did you, did you feel like, I, I, she's like, Dave, it was great. You did great. <laughs> okay. But I still have like this, you know, this trauma in a good way from that conversation. Yeah. But it was really helpful. And so I do think humor is this weird thing of, it can really be such a joiner. It can be such a communal thing or it can really be so separate. It can really cause like yeah. such a, you know, fissure in, in things. It's crazy. I mean, I, I see that how it could be because it, it is like a drug. It could be yeah. so self-serving. You get oh, a yeah. room rolling and you're just like, yeah, oh. let's keep it going. Yeah. And then you, you never know those people. They just know that you're funny. That's and it. So That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's but but I, it's, I but it it's the power it has to make people feel comfortable, to right. make people feel well. And I'll tell you one other quick story. When I did my first, well, let me finish that thought. The power it has to make people 
breathe. You know, I can see you're really mm-hmm. nervous right now talking to this group where you don't want to be in this. I'm going to just keep making it fun and we're laughing. Before you know it, your levels change right. chemically in your body and you're like, oh, I kind of, I'm glad I'm here now. That's amazing. And then two, I, you know, I, I've told this three million times, but I was doing stand-up shows and I played the show in Chicago. A friend of mine brought a, uh, a friend of his and we were talking after the show and she said, man, that really blessed me, that show. And I was so confused. I was like, bless you and she's like yeah and i was like i kind of laughed i was like how did that bless you she's like dave i had the worst day at work like the worst Mm day um i was mad now she's with her husband she said now i'm going home happy and so when i see my kids i'm gonna be smiling i'm not taking that stuff with me anymore and i was like that was like i mean nuclear in my brain i was like wow like humor really can bless people like that was like a even in my 30s that was this incredibly novel idea of like oh i've never thought about that and so that's even more fun now because i do try to think of it in ways that i'm like can i bless somebody with this you know like right how can somebody leave here feels very uh peter parker's uncle with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) maybe yeah (laughs) so never thought about that i do (laughs) i do consider myself sort of a spider-man in many other ways but so this would make sense oh we've just totally sidetracked here (laughs) that's right right. well i appreciate your time i got one final question we'll wrap up um yeah our show together since the show is titled the collective's conversation who is one person historical present fictional or in real life that you would love to sit down and have a conversation with uh man i mean this Beatles thing has been so paramount in my mind over these last two and a half years, and still is. I mean, I'm still neck deep in it. It would have to be Paul McCartney. I mean, that's the dream. Oh, okay. You know, just to sit with him and pick his brain and, and sort of hear. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a million questions, um, but I think it'd be him. That's wild because I guess I just had on the show Jason Romano, who uh, – mm-hmm. Is sports spectrum guy, mm-hmm. he he said the exact same answer. He had John really? and Paul McCartney. Yeah. yeah, so there must be like some Beatles thing in the air right now because he yeah, was the I, same way. He's like, I've been really into the Beatles, and he's like, I would love to talk to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And he referenced that the majority of their music was made in like a six year span. Like, oh yeah, they just like cranked out. They were a band and, for eight or nine years, and yeah. they were done. That is, like, and Mark Paul history. McCartney. Paul McCartney wrote. Um, Yesterday when he was nineteen, that's stupid. Which is I'm forty six and I've done nothing that cool. Yeah, it's it's not helpful at all. Yeah, at all. Well, you wrote God give me you, so let's we can put that. Let's like take that, Paul. It's, take that. You know, you're a top hundred Billboard country song of all time. <laughs> like I will Thank stream you. it today that. to make sure that's still true. I needed that serotonin boost. I appreciate that. I'm trying to help you out. Yeah. Well, man, this has been great. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for becoming a new friend. And uh, as we say here at the Collectives Conversation Podcast, you've got to see the table. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Hey, friends. Thank you for joining us on another incredible episode of the Collectives Conversations Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion and want to stay connected to the Collectives Conversation, make sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform. If something in the show really spoke to you, tag me on Instagram at Jeff underscore Pitts underscore. It means so much if you take a moment to rate and review the podcast goes a long way into shaping the future of our episodes and reaching a broader audience we'll see you next week at the table for another great conversation and be sure to check our follow-up episode titled things i learn every tuesday following that week's episode remember you have a seat at the table